everybody, welcome back to the 22nd episode of Taps and Patience. I am here with my co-host Harrison from Precision Ingenuity, and I am AJ from Design the Everything. Hi, Harrison. What's going on? Pens. 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 How are they coming? They're coming. I finished up my prototyping yesterday and Mm -hmm. have been doing production, well, the prototype of the month club production run for, I started on that last night and have been working on it all day today. Okay. How's the, uh, the holes looking out? Did you get any better finishes on the ID? I, I have played with it for a long time Mm -hmm. and just now, like maybe an hour or two ago, I, I finally found something that I think fixed it. Okay. Um, I think the real machinists will yell at me, but I am peck reaming. <laughs> you're, you're, you're pecking it? I'm peck reaming. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm doing a peck drilling cycle with a reamer, which oh my, sounds that's... really dumb. Yes, but it, it does. Works. <laughs> okay. Uh, um... The biggest problem I had was chip evacuation. And oh, okay. so peck reaming. That makes sense. I'm doing a half inch at a time and just. In and out of the hole. Okay. Um, <clears throat> with that in mind, um, could you get any better of a surface finish when you were if you were pecking the the big hole, uh, kind of like how we talked about last time? With the yes, uh, so the, the one you, the half to to one and a half times diameter, I think, is what I was recommended for for stainless, anyways. And I don't know how well it worked for plastic, but. Yeah, so taking a step back and um, recapping our conversation from the last time, which I think was on air. I don't think that was after the podcast, but it may have been. But I have no idea. we were talking about how difficult it was to drill these deep holes on the pen body. Because I'm just starting with a round piece of stock that does not have a hole in it. And I need to make that solid round bar into two. And that involves drilling a really deep hole. And I was having issues in the Ultem, both because I needed a good surface finish and also because deep drilling. And originally I was doing small little pecs and that wasn't giving me a great finish. And so Harrison recommended doing deeper pecs. And it definitely helped with the finish some. I am getting worse bird nesting than I was, which I guess makes sense. But the finish is better. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> well, that's uh, it, you got to take it one step at a time and and get little little improvements. Which yep. I totally went through all morning this morning, so I <laughs> understand fighting things. So, <clears throat> yeah. Can can I tell you one other really dumb reason why I was scrapping parts today? Yeah, let's hear it. So, for making these pens, I have I think five different work coordinate systems. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I was just trying to use was G56. For some reason, and I don't know why, my host decided to put a G54 at the end of the code. Mm-hmm. And I like needed to tweak my offset a little bit, and I just assumed it was in the right offset. And I changed my offset and ran apart, and it didn't change. And I tweaked my offset, and I ran apart, and it didn't change. And I was like, what is going on? And I scrapped like three or four parts before I realized that the code was like, it, it's, it was changing to G56 and then going back to G54. Yeah. 
So that was annoying. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have done that before. I, I was about to guess that, but you beat me to it. So that's. Oh, I also ad- adjusted the offset backwards too because I was trying to figure out what was going on. And like when in my troubleshooting, I was like, did I adjust the offset backwards? And so then I, for some reason, got it in my head that I was adjusting the wrong way. And so I started adjusting everything the other way. And then, and then when I figured it out, I still adjusted it the wrong way. Well, well, the thing that's really trippy about that, and I, I struggle with it every single time, is because the table moves in the opposite direction yes. to what your your screen is showing you. Because your Z-axis is the stationary axis. So when you're doing a Z-positive, or, or not a Z-positive, like an X-positive or a Y-positive, it looks like X-negative or Y-negative on the actual bed of the machine. <clears throat> yep. And so... It's really, really trippy because like if you look at the nice thing about the Tormox is you have the screen and you have the table. If you Mm -hmm. watch the table go this way, your screen will be going the opposite direction. And so it's really, it's really trippy. (laughs) So I have, I literally have it written on my machine, like, and because I can never keep it straight. I couldn't even tell you, you know, if I add a subtract to move in a direction now, but I have it written on the enclosure of my sheet, my machine, you know, Add two X offset to move part this way. Add two Y offset to move part this way. Um, you know, do this I, to Z offset to make part thicker. Yeah. Yeah. What I always do if I can't remember is I will add or subtract an inch and watch the screen and watch my coordinate jump. And then I'll put it back to what it was. And then I'll be like, okay, I need a minus or add to get it to do what I want it to do. Yeah. I got tired of that. So I just wrote it on the machine. <laughs> the the other thing that really tripped me out was trying to uh tweak the length of the the length offset of my slitting saw to get the part the thickness that I wanted. Mm. Cuz it's like when you're, you know, let's say my part's coming out as a quarter inch and I want it to be, you know, a half an inch or whatever. Like do you add or subtract? Because it's gotcha. cutting like it's all backwards. It's all it's already backwards because it's the length offset, and then it's backwards again because you're cutting on the backside of the tool. Yeah. That, Double negative. I had to write that on the mill. <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, I guess I can talk a little bit about my struggles today. Yeah, so you, you mentioned those. I think you should yeah. enlighten everybody. Yeah, so <clears throat> on Sunday... We did another major uh, remodeling of our shop. So we've remodeled it like three weeks in a row, it seems like, just rechanging everything around. Um, And I'm pretty happy with it now. So I really want to do a tour of our shop Mm -hmm. now on YouTube because it is completely different than what it used to be. Um, We now have a giant sign above our door that's pointing down to the door saying this is the entrance that way people stop going to my grandparents' house (laughs) because we share a building. (laughs) So um, we have that big sign up there to where, I mean, people will probably still go over there, but it's it's much less likely because when you're driving down the driveway, you now see a big precision ingenuity sign with arrows pointing at the door. (laughs) So that helps. Um, And then when you walk in, we now have a display shelf and like a little boxed area at the very entrance, it kind of makes it look like a little bit of a storefront. And we actually moved our mill, the Tormach mill, um, over because it was close to the door. So we've moved it further back out of the way. 
that way we can make room for this little area for people to walk into. Uh, and we have a really nice display case, which is actually, it's actually a, a new Walmart display case that we found off of like Craigslist or something. Um, and, uh, or Atwoods or Sam's, I'm not sure which company, but it's a brand new display case that you would find at those places. Um, and we're really happy with that. So anyways, shops much better. So fast forward to, um, uh, today or yesterday, I guess, technically yesterday I was cutting some parts and, um, <clears throat> I took some measurements and I was cutting 10 thou over what I should be. And I was, but it was only in the X axis. The Y axis was fine. The X axis was off. And I was like, what in the world is going on? And so I was able to fix it yesterday. And I was like, this morning when I got into the shop, I'm like, okay, I'm going to track down this bug and figure out what's going on. And it was a combination of things. Um, but when I used the probe, I was getting about five or six thou um, of deviation in my X axis um, when I was measuring a one, two, three block. And I was like, oh, dang it. What's going on? So <clears throat> I fixed my probe because I thought that's what it was. And my probe was out about a thou and a half, um, which isn't horrible, but it's not great either. Um, and then I ended up calling Tormach and they said, you know, stop using the probe when you're testing for this kind of stuff. Because they, they said, you know, you might need to rebuild your probe or whatever. And I, I tested it with a dial indicator and I got the same result. And I was like, okay, something's wrong. Something's really wrong. And so, um, I called up Tormach again and they told me about backlash compensation and, uh, scaling factor. And, um, they said, you know, backlash compensation is pretty straightforward. If you have backlash in your system, uh, you can compensate it. Although they recommend not going above one thou, because anything over one thou, your machine will start to vibrate and it can wear stuff out faster. I was like, okay, that makes sense. And they said, you know, make sure you tighten up your x-axis if you do have any backlash as best you could, and then you can use a little bit extra if you need it. It's like that makes a lot of sense. So, what I ended up having to do was I took the one two three block and I started measuring the one two and three dimensions consistently, and um. And I had a whiteboard where I was writing down all the values as I was getting them. And so I, I'd measure them and then I tweak something and I'd measure them again, tweak it again. And it ended up being a combination of I was able to tighten up my X axis and that got me, uh, I had about a thou, thou and a half slop. And that got it down to about a half a thou to a thou um, by tightening up the ball screw. My, like I said previously, my probe I ended up fixing. Um, I had. Backlash compensation is now set to four thou, or not not four uh, four tenths, four tenths. Um, and the biggest thing for me was my um, scaling factor. Um, from the factory, all the all the Tormach machines are set to a scaling factor of one. And I noticed this whenever I was doing um, whenever I was doing large parts for zometry at the very beginning that my measurements would be way off as I got into bigger and bigger parts. And I was just like, okay, there's something wrong with the Tormach. I'm not sure what it is. And I'm just going to try to avoid really big parts. Well, I can't really do that with some of the jobs that I'm doing right now. And so 
I ended up doing some testing with the scaling factor, and it turns out that I needed to set my scaling factor to 0. 0.9994. And now when I measure, I measured one, two, three, and six inches. I, I took two, one, two, three blocks and stuck them together to get me the longest known measurement. And I'm, I'm within a couple tenths on all sizes now. And my machine is cutting better than it ever has um, that I've been able to get off of it um, today. Now, that's only one day of me messing around with it, making a handful of parts. But And it could be subjective because of all the work that I've done to it today. But I feel like I'm cutting a lot more accurate. And I'm surprised that they don't do any tests that I could tell, at least talking to the Tormach guys that I did. And they didn't say this. I didn't ask them directly if they actually do testing for scaling factor. Um, they just said that it was set to one from the factory. Um, and so that leads me to believe that they don't test it because um, if they don't, then mine's been off this whole time. And that's why I've been fighting it specifically in the X axis um, from the beginning of time, which makes so much more sense now why I've been fighting my X axis over all this time. So. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I'm always really hesitant to change uh, something like the scaling factor on that because theoretically, the theoretically everything should be a like the nominal value because mm-hmm. um, it's basically like you know the the pitch of the ball screw and the steps in the encoder and mm-hmm. those should be known good values should be and. Yeah, but like it's much, I don't know. In my experience, it's much more likely that you find like something moving that's, you know, something that's stealing motion from your machine that yeah. is resulting in this. Um, like, for example, the bolts on the ball nut might be a little bit loose or something. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I've, I've gone through everything that I can. Um... And it it feels a lot tighter, and my measurements are are coming out pretty much spot on now. Um, do you do you actually have a dial indicator? I do. Because you said you were using the probe for everything. I, I have a dial indicator, but I don't use it to probe in parts because um, it's on a Noga arm. It's not really something that I stick in the spindle. So what I did was I mounted it to the side of the spindle. Like I could never use it to find a work coordinate center. Like yes, it would yes. not work for that. Um, but what I did was I stuck it on the side of uh, the spindle. And then I measured one end of the one, two, three block. Then I went to the side and went to the other end and used my second one, two, three block as a, a, a surface reference to uh, probe. That way I'm going in the same direction. I just had it as a, as a plane extension and I was getting the exact same values that I was getting off my probe. Um, did you ever I- use that? Did you ever use that indicator to measure your um, backlash? Uh, yes, I did. I did. Okay. That's yes. that's how I got the thou and a half back of backlash was using the, okay. was using that. Um, what I, I had to do was I had to I had to have my cousin move the table um, because I had to hold the I had to put the indicator underneath the, the bed of the x axis mm-hmm. and then I couldn't really get my head underneath it and so I ended up having yeah. to hold my had I had to hold my camera on my phone with yes. the <laughs> front facing camera so I could see it and then I'd be like all right shake the table and. And uh, let me record it so I can see what's my my deviation. And that's where I got about a thou to a thou and a half. 
If he if he really shoves it back and forth, I got a thou and a half at most. Interesting. But it was a, it was about a thou if or it was about a th- half a thou to a thou if you just slide it back and forth without, you know, yanking on it, which makes sense to me. Did so. you ever? Did you ever just like put your machine into, um, like, step mode and jog it in? Okay, okay. I did. I did that too. I was getting a very similar result. I was getting about a thou thou and a half doing it that way, and I was getting a thou thou and a half whenever I was moving the table and had the indicator on it. I did both. How how often do you tighten up your ball screw? Or I guess it's not the ball screw. It's the um, the thrust bearings on the ball screw and mm-hmm. your Gibbs. Because I haven't done that on this machine yet, and I think it's due. I haven't done the Gibbs. Well, I, I, okay, rephrase that. The first year after having the machine, I have did this, and it's been almost exactly a year later that I'm coming okay. back and readjusting everything. So, so about it, a year. It, about a year. Um, and it, what happened is I never would have noticed it because I was only out five thou. The reason it showed up on this one part was because I was doing one side and then I was flipping it and doing the other. And so that's where I got my 10 thou, um, because it was, it was doing the same thing twice. And so it, it doubled my error, um, which is the only reason I was able to detect it. Cause if it was within five thou, I, I probably would have chucked it up or, or I would have chucked it up to, um, a, a several factors, but because it was 10 thou and it was because of how I was flipping the part that it, it kind of stacked, um, that I was able to catch it and get it dialed in. Um, and incidentally, after I did that, um, I did some boring cycles and I've been having to open up my bore because my X axis is not opening up. So I was producing oval holes. And, uh, after I adjusted my, my X axis, this is another reason I, I know that it's better. Um, when I bored out a hole, my pin fit through the perfect size and it was just a perfect slip fit. So my holes are more circular now. Interesting. So So I've had my machine for almost exactly a year as well. Well, I've had it running for almost exactly a year and I'm finding that I need to tighten everything up too, because the most of the pen parts are, uh, drilled and reamed. So like the circularity of the, or the kinematics of the machine don't really affect those, mm-hmm. but there are, um, there's one part that I not bore, like do the, the outside bore, whatever the opposite of a bore is. I interpolate yeah. down the outside, um, mm-hmm. you know, pretending to be a lathe. And I noticed that part was out about two thou X versus Y. And mm-hmm. then I have another, um, interpolated hole and it was the same so i i haven't actually put an indicator to make sure it's backlash but i can't imagine it being anything else yeah well i mean and i really want to get a 246 block and something bigger and i want to check the scaling factor over a larger area and see because like i did it with the one two and three and i was like okay this is working what if i put the the uh put a six inch, you know, put the two together and I tried it with and without the scaling factor and it made a huge difference. I was, I was about, um, six or seven thou out with the, uh, six inch, um, with the two, one, two, three blocks stuck together with the six inch total range, total range. And then when I put that scaling factor in, I was, I was back into the tenths range. So, um, it, granted that's six inches out of my total 18 inches of travel. So it'd be interesting to see, because it's really easy to change that scaling factor. It'd be really interesting to see if I if I had something longer that was a known value, um, yeah. what I could do. 
Did you see uh, Pearson Workholdings video about the glass rod for basically doing this exact thing? I, I did. And that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking of. Um, Cause like, I don't necessarily need anything that's precision. I just need to know its exact length. Um, Cause in theory I could, I could cut something and measure the length and then use that to verify it on my uh, mill. The problem is, is I only have about eight inch calipers. So I need something that can measure longer accurately. And I don't, I don't trust my calipers very much either because I had a part um, that I had to do on my lathe that had two tenths of tolerance. And uh, we have like four pairs of calipers in the shop and they were all measuring a, a couple thou different from each other. A couple and thou. Wow. Like, like, like one to t- one, maybe two on some of them, on some of the crappy, like the Harbor Freight one. Um, <laughs> um, but we, I got my, uh, we have one Starrett, um, and one, um, micrometer and the Starrett I, I felt like was the highest quality measuring tool I had. Um, and it was, me- and I had a gauge block set and I was measuring the gauge block set and comparing it. And, um, it, it turned out that my micrometer set was actually out of spec and I had to adjust it. And then I adjusted it and compared it to the Starrett and to my gauge blocks, um, which were known values. And once I adjusted that, my micrometer started giving me accurate measurements and I, I was able to get it dialed in. And the, 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 and the, the micrometers came with a um, reference measurement. That yeah, you like a one-inch standard. To. Yeah, the one-inch standard. And so um, I compared it to that. And that's what, like I was comparing that to my gauge blocks to my uh, stare it. So I had multiple things that I was kind of cross checking and uh, got my micrometers dialed in and, uh, and confirmed that the stare was the best one that we had in the shop for, uh, for calipers. And uh, I ended up hitting right at my uh, two tenths measurement on my lathe. So I was super happy about that. Yeah. I have exactly one gauge block in the shop. It is, um, what I don't even remember the dimension. It's some random dimension. It's a little bit smaller than I want. It's like forty-five thou or, or forty-five or uh, 0.45, mm-hmm. uh, 450 thou or something like that. But it's like the highest quality Mitutoyo um, gauge block that I could find, and that is like my shop reference. Like I consider that to be exactly that dimension that it states, mm-hmm. and I use that to uh, set my or to check my micrometers. And then I can use my micrometers to check my calipers. And like, that's yeah. my, that's my chain of reference in my shop is that one gauge block is, is truth. And then everything is, is referenced yeah. off of that. Yeah. I I would like to get some higher quality measuring, measuring tools because um, a lot of my increase in machining quality has come from getting higher quality tools to check my work. Yep. Um, so you can only be as good as your measuring tools. So I wonder if we can find like a friend with a height gauge or some other, you know, fairly accurate way of measuring something that's fairly tall and like buy, you know, five or 10 of those glass rods and send them oh, out yeah. to that friend to, well, to calibrate them. <clears throat> I have a shop that uh, I, I work with and they have some of the nicest measuring. They, they just got this brand new machine in their shop it's a uh, it's designed for reverse engineering parts and it's a probe 
but it's on a hand wand and it's got like this giant ball on it and it referenced back to a point and you can probe within um, a couple of tenths or, or better or millionths or some ridiculously high precision and reverse engineer parts with it. And so um, they were playing with that and showing me that and it was pretty freaking sweet. Like you could, you could like touch a hole in three locations and like it would find the diameter of it and the location of it. Um, it's really cool. So do you know if um, the glass rods that Pearson was talking about on McMaster come with pre-ground ends that are perpendicular or would we need to send those out to grind? I do not know. And grinding is i don't know anyone who's got a grinder that could do anything like that i do i don't know if they'd be willing to (laughs) we may we may be small potatoes here um but i know people who are capable of it yeah that would be nice i would i would be interested in one of those um it'd be cool to have like three sizes like a small medium large because the scaling factor is something I'm a lot more interested in. And I'd love to check it more in my Y axis. My Y axis did seem like it was fine from everything that I could do. Like it seemed like my scaling factor was pretty much spot on. Um, but I, I didn't check the uh, three inches or six inches because the one and two seemed pretty accurate for my Y axis. And I haven't really noticed any problems with my Y axis. So. Okay. I'm on McMaster right now and they claim that the edge is ground. Now, I don't know if that means that it is ground uh, or perpendicular, but it yeah. does say ground. And only uh, a three-quarter inch diameter one, which is probably overkill, is only $12. Hmm. Speaking of Pearson workholding, um, it kind of got me thinking of something else. Um, have you seen the Pearson workholding dice? Uh, I remember those from when they first came out. Yes. Do you know anyone who has one? No. I'm tempted to buy one. I want to know how they're anodizing it. And if they're getting full coverage, because we have a product that we were thinking about doing, but, and we want to get it anodized, but there's no good way to hold it. And I want to know if, if he's got, two little marks if he's got a hole like how is he anodizing that dice and is he getting full coverage and if i know he doesn't have anodizing in-house so who's he using to get that full coverage i would like to know because all the anodizers that i've used so far um have left marks if i uh in different areas some of them are better than others and some of them can use the features that i leave behind but I, I want to find someone who can consistently not leave marks behind. Yeah. His, um, if you go to the Pearson workholding page where he has his dice, the third diagram on there is awesome. Mm-hmm. I find that hilarious. But yeah, I don't, I don't know how else they would hold them. Now I have seen thing, seen rigs that, um, I don't know kind of work like a micrometer basically except instead of you know being precision and having anvils on them they have uh little pointies and the two mm-hmm. little pointies can just dig into the corners yeah um i don't know how else you would do it yeah i don't know either i if mean he just... has 
he has tool marks inside the the pips on the dice, and maybe mm-hmm. that would be enough to um, to hide it. The only thing I could think of is if someone has like a, like needles that are basically holding it on the side, like he's got like a couple needles that are grabbing it and pinching it together. Um, and then if it's leaving specks behind, where if you know where they are, you can find them, but just like no one will ever notice them type of deal. Because that's, so that's what I was kind of getting at with my yeah bad micrometer story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is they have just little points and they, and they leave little tiny uh, pips on them, but you just they're so small you can't see them, even yeah. if you are looking for them. Yeah. Um. Yeah, which I'd be fine you with. could probably just set it on like three little needles. Well, and see what I wondered was, um, cause the anodizing process itself, it needs electricity to, to work. Um, but could you, could you anodize it, pull it out, remove, uh, move your holding points and then anodize it a second time and, and get those other exposed areas because i think when they do the dye the dye doesn't matter because it's just going into the holes they're left behind so as long as like if you grab it twice can you grab it twice and then not have a a uh, a patch left behind that doesn't get anodized i have not the faintest clue i don't know i do know the anodization is um a the, the uh, insulator, mm-hmm. and so you may not be able to grab that directly for the flip, which I think defeats the purpose of trying to flip it. But I don't and, know. And, unless you're doing the needle thing where you're poking into it, and you can poke through that layer, but it's still anodizing everything around it. So I don't know. Maybe it's a combination of the two. Who knows? Pearson knows, and that's what I want to know. <laughs> Have you tried asking him? I sent him a message on uh, Instagram and they basically replied with, uh, uh, you know, if you want to really get in hold of us, you should try calling us at this number. And I tried calling that number and it goes straight to voicemail. Like it's, or it says like this number is no, is not connected. And it's the same number on their website on their, like I've tried everything to try to find a different number. And every time I call that number, it doesn't work. And I'm like, do they know that I haven't bought one of their products? And so I'm not an activated number or something. <laughs> um, they may have chosen to do all customer service over email just to like, I mean, they're all about lean and yeah. Customer phone calls can get awfully uh, long. Yeah. Unlean. And even sure. if they're quick and short, it's still like, an interruption and yeah. it takes time and yeah, which I understand. And, and, and I, and I realized that I'd be calling for like something with the, like completely waste their time. Like I yes. fully understand that. Um, which is why I tried reaching out through Instagram because I was like, at least maybe after hours, you know, they could be like, give me a heads up. But I did that. About it sounds a like an auto responder. It was, I mean, it came back as soon as I sent it. So it was over a week ago that I sent that and I still haven't heard anything back. So, so email, that's the yeah the yeah. way to go, I think. That's probably going to be my next route. So anyways, um, so let's see here. Redid the shop. We talked about Pearson, setting up the machine. Um, my big job 
this really uh, messed me up. I was hoping to ha- I have that huge job for this company. It's supposed to be due first of next week. And he called yesterday asking for an update. And we told him that we were going to hopefully have everything done by the end of the week. And that was before I ran into this little problem. So um, I'm probably going to have to go in super early tomorrow morning and see if I can catch up on my schedule. So that being said, my machine, you know how like I took a photo of your parts on Instagram and like put it to Christmas music with all the chips everywhere? Yes. I almost have the exact same thing now with stainless (laughs) steel chips. Ooh, those are way less fun than aluminum. They're way less fun than aluminum, but I've never had that many in my machine ever of like anything other than aluminum. So, oh, and uh, that guy that I was talking about uh, when when we were on was the Surveyn solution. Oh, no, it's not Surveyn. I was saying it wrong. Uh, Yeah. Surveyn. Surveyn. Surveyn Solutions. Yeah. Man, I'm going to be messing that up for <laughs> forever. It's okay. Anyways. I've said it wrong publicly for the last three years. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, We were talking about those parts from that company um, that uh, I've been trying to get to. I actually had him at my shop uh, last week. Um, and uh, he was really impressed with our shop. I mean, I say really impressed. I mean, this this is a company who like, has you know outsources multiple millions of dollars worth of parts to the community and they have more more they have more work than they can handle and they outsource to like 10 companies and plus they have like four or five machine shops in separate buildings um of their own and they and they're i mean like they just have a stupid amount of parts that they're trying to handle um so like him coming and seeing a Tormach and a Haas, like he's like, oh, I've never heard of Tormach before. I was like, yeah. So <laughs> it's this boutique specialty piece, uh, <laughs> boutique specialty mill. It's like it came in on a crate and I built it. So, <laughs> <laughs> but he was still really impressed. Um, you know, he was telling me stories. He's like, he's like a lot of guys that I deal with. They uh, they buy all these expensive machines and go massively into debt. And then within a year or two, they basically go under because they, they can't keep, keep up with uh, the amount of debt that they've accumulated um, trying to get started. And so he's like, you guys, you boys are doing it right. And he was, I think from that aspect was, was pretty impressed with what we had going on. So that was comforting. So, and I I reached out today and uh, just to do a kind of a follow-up, and uh, he's I'm going to try to get a tour of their facility in the future. And he said that that was totally doable. But right now they're swamped and it's probably not going to happen. But he'll try to reach out in the future if they slow down a little bit and let me come up for a tour of their big facility. So that'd be awesome. But he was telling me about some of the equipment they had. And, you know, they have their big thing right now is they're getting into some pallet pool machines. So some big horizontals and some like, I think he had like a, they were installing like a 24 station horizontal pallet pool um, for one of their big machines. So I was like, yeah, your pallet pool is probably about the size of my shop. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, I don't have a pallet pool, but I do have a pallet drawer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I am the pool. That, <laughs> the <Yeah>. robot. <laughs> I I finally got a couple of more of the Saunders Machine Works pattern pallets. 
which I mm-hmm. used to think were really dumb. I couldn't understand why you'd want a fixture plate pattern on a pallet that you put on your fixture plate. Like, why not just put things on directly on the fixture plate? Well, mm-hmm. I like with this setup for the pens, like I was saying, I have like five work coordinate systems and I don't mm-hmm. want to touch the setup until it's done. Mm-hmm. And what that means is like, I've been needing to make other parts and I would love to set them up and run them overnight, but mm-hmm. I haven't been able to, cause I don't want to touch my setup. Yep. And it would have been really nice if I could have done this setup on a, uh, not a Pearson palette, a, a Saunders machine work palette and just popped it off at the end of the day and then popped on my salami slice palette and just hit go. Yeah. Um, and instead I'm running out of inventory on all of my salami slice effects. So <laughs> how's your Etsy shop going? Is it, has it been picking up at all? It has been. Um, it was really dead there for January, but this month has been pretty good already. Uh, I'm almost going to need to reorder the titanium orange slices soon. Really? I don't know what it was about those, but I've been selling. I've sold a bunch of those. I'm, I think, over halfway done of the, oh, wow. I don't know, 25 or whatever I bought from you. So, wow. Well, we could do more. We, we just got, we placed an order a week or so ago for some send cut send parts and they still haven't shown up we, we we got messed up last week as well because um we had a like a ice storm that came through and we didn't get a single ups fedex delivery oh, no. truck at all last week we had so much stuff that we were waiting on that yeah. really messed us up as well so can't really do anything for that so. weather's weather yeah yeah, I was really frustrated. Like in, in some ways it was good, in some ways it was bad. Um, we did get a call. So this this person that we're doing a big order for that uh, I'm hopefully going to have my parts done by Friday of this week. Um, <laughs> fingers crossed. Um, it. Uh, he said that they have like six new lines. They do. They do like. Uh, I think I've talked about them before a little bit. They do packing lines. So like, if you have like a um, like an M and M's factory that's producing, you know, M and M's. They they make the packing machines that put the M and M's inside the little bags. Um, so that's kind of, and they do this for all sorts of different companies. Um, but um, he said they have six more lines worth of a, of uh, parts that they're going to send our way. Which I don't know how many parts we just did, but uh, if it's I I can't imagine it's more than one line's worth. And if they're sending six lines our way. I'm about to be buried, (laughs) 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 which is exciting and nerve wracking because um, producing this many parts in a month, like if if they give me a massive order like that, um, this was 107 parts that I'm working on right now. Um, And if they give me, you know, 300, 500 parts, it's like, and and they're all different is the problem. Like it was 107 parts, but it was uh, uh, about 20 unique parts out of that so it was a bunch of three and sixes of everything um so it's just constant setup changes i had to buy a whole bunch of tools um so it's just a lot of unique programming for everything which just takes time um so anyways we'll see i'm excited but what so let's say you know you get swamped with a a big po now they say you got three months to do eighty thousand dollars worth of parts Mm-hmm. Um, how would you, how would you handle that? 
would you buy a new machine? Would you just work? I more? would, <laughs> I would probably look to outsourcing some of it if I could. Um, I, I would try to find the parts that I can do. And we actually, on that last order, it was going to be more than 107 parts, but I had to turn down a couple parts that we couldn't do um, because of either tight tolerances or uh, tooling that I just couldn't get for any of my equipment. Um, like broach tools. Like I could, no. I could broach. Yeah. I, I didn't really have any broaching tools right now. Um, and I don't have a way to do that on my mill or lathe. Well, I, I could do it on my lathe, but they were mill parts. Um, so you can get a brooch for the format, I guess, depending on size. Really? Yeah. I think Etormach even sells a, a rotary brooch. No, 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 not not a not a rotary brooch. Like it had to be in a specific location, clocked on a on like a square, or or not square on a. Uh, uh, it was like three intersecting circles, and the middle circle had a brooch in a specific location. Um, it has never occurred to me that a rotary brooch does not index, but you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, like if it was just a rotary brooch, yeah, I would get a rotary brooch. But this was like, it was like a shaft that was going through with a keyway and the, they needed the shaft and the keyway to line up. And then it had, I don't know, something else that was on the side of it um, on either side of that shaft that was going through the same, a similar hole next to it. And the center shaft had to have a keyway um, for it to grab onto in a specific location. Yeah. So. <laughs> so it's like I could do I can't do square holes unless you want to Mickey Mouse them for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um but which but I if I had a uh, a Haas, Haas actually I just saw a, like a Haas tip of the day video um where they were talking about how you can broach um they sell broaching tools where they can they can rotate the spindle uh, the spindle cuz they know the orientation of it and then they just ram it down into the material like a brooch and just slowly step over. Um, yeah. So it can, it can be done, but I don't know of a way to do it on the Tormach uh, programmatically. Yeah. Um, uh, the Tormach can do spindle orientation. It needs to for the mm -hmm. tool changer. Yep. However, the spindle break cannot be activated via G code. Mm -hmm. uh, it has to be done in Python and yeah. it's not, the world's best break because it's like half actuating the drawbar is how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, I would like to do that, but I don't have the right equipment for it. Um, my, my lathe on the other hand can totally broach parts. Um, if it's a lathe part, it's, if it's a lathe part. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and there's been a couple instances where that's come up. I haven't bought a, a lathe brooch yet, um, but I've looked into it enough and I'm comfortable that I could, I could probably figure it out if I needed to do it. Um, it seems fairly straightforward. The brooch on the mill thing is basically what Josh Hacko is doing with his watches. If you've seen that, he just does it ornamentally. And I don't know if I've seen that. Yeah, I agree. Um, but he, uh, do you know what? Um, oh gosh, no, I'm blanking on the term. Um, anyway, he has his kern, and he basically takes a lathe insert and laps it to a polish, and then uses his kern as a shaper to oh. make cool patterns on the surface. Um, I think I, I think I have seen that now. Gilyushe, Gilyushe, Gil, 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 Gil,
It's one of those yeah. words that I see written all the time, but I don't actually know how to pronounce it, and I don't have yeah. Josh Hacko's charming Australian accent. We're, we're going to become how we the say pod- it here in Indiana. <laughs> we're going to become the podcast that's known, for, <laughs> that's known for getting everyone's name wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Taps and patience. Oh, those are the guys who can't pronounce anyone's name <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> Oh, gosh, we're just perpetuating American stereotypes over here. I I guess. Well, I've 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 always sucked at pronunciation, so same. <sighs> Which is talk bad because I listen to a lot of audiobooks. So, like I should be good at this kind of thing because mm-hmm. all I do is hear people talk. Well, yeah, but you you can reproduce the sound once you know what sound it is. Yes. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've unless, definitely unless, heard people unless, say that watch making term and just I can't think yeah. of it at the moment, but unless it's Servin Solutions who yeah. <laughs> has, has told us a couple times how to pronounce it. <laughs> uh, so, let's see here. What else? Um Hmm. I really want to slow down Ironically, now that I'm starting to get more work, because there's, there's a couple shop projects that I really want to get working on, like the 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 site of our Etsy store increasing as much as it has here recently has made me really want to hit it hard and and get it up to a sustained uh, value, which it's been holding strong. It still is. Um, at I mean, I, I just had like three Etsy things that just came in just now. Um, I mean, it's, it's still, uh, building momentum and I want to, I want to focus on that a little bit, um, because it's consistent. It's, it's different than the job shop stuff. And what's nice is I can do the work in advance, just have it on the shelf and ship it out whenever an order comes in. So, um, it's just a lot less stress than when you're dealing with people's parts that have, you know, one or two of, and they have a time crunch on and yada, yada, yada. So, yeah, I'd love to grow that and get our passive stuff up, but it's just, it's, it's been growing, but we're not there yet. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's been nice having it pick up a little bit here in the last, I don't know, week or two. And yeah. I think part of it, um, and maybe this is a little bit of a, a, a hack for, to consider in the future. So I did the carabiner retrofit kits mm-hmm. and I would have loved to be able to sell, send those to everybody for free, but like I couldn't afford it because the, the carabiner Kickstarter by itself was a couple thousand dollars worth of just shipping alone. And so it would have been at least another couple thousand dollars worth of shipping. So I basically sold them at cost. They're like mm-hmm. two bucks plus shipping, but I sold them through my pattern website, which is the one that's basically a reskin of Etsy. And what that means is I ran about a hundred orders through my Etsy store in a day or two. And ever since then, my Etsy traffic has been way up. So, so that makes so much sense because when you were telling me about those little deals, I went on your Etsy store and I could not find them, but it said you had 12 products, but only 11 items. Oh, I sold out of those. Oh, you did? Yeah, they're sold out. Oh, right okay. Oh, okay. Um, that was one of the I things I need to... the, the pens to finish up so I can restock those. Okay, because I was trying to find that listing. So I was like, yeah. oh, I want to see what they look like. Because like, we've talked about them, but I actually haven't seen them yet. So I wanted to, 
to see a photo of him and I was like, where's his listing? It's gone. So yeah, it, they, they sold out way faster than I was expecting. Okay. I, yeah, I definitely, I, I definitely want to play around with the idea that we talked about. Um, Cause today when I was coming home from work, I pulled my keys out of my pocket and your carabiner went flying. Um, Oops. <laughs> and so it, I, I was like a, a wong <laughs> as it shot off. And, uh, and I was like, Oh man, I really want to, I want to make that sliding latch that we were talking about. I really want to do that. And I, I thought about it on my whole drive home from work. I was, um, what, I, how big are the, uh, 080 screws when you stick them through? Is there, is there clearance on both sides? Um, you mean between the, you mean radially, not axially, correct? Yes. Like, is, is there, like, how, how, how much of a 080 screw fits within the slot? Like, is there a lot of clearance on both sides? No, there's none. I believe the head of the screw is bigger than the slot width. Now, the thread size, there's plenty. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, the thread size. Okay, yeah, there's plenty of, um, those are 120 slots, and um, the I-80 screws, I believe, are 70 thousandths nominal, or in that ballpark. Okay, okay. Because one thing I was thinking about doing was if I could find a O-ring that went on the O-80 screws, then what you could do those is you could exist. do... Huh? So those got to ex- exist, yeah. Yeah. So if I could find... Uh, what I could do is I could do two O-80 screws in here, and I could do an O-ring over the O-80 screws, and that would act as a little bit of resistance so you could lock it in the open and closed hmm. position. That's a good idea. Uh, and then you would just have... This, you just have a small little bit of your two sides that would be actually in the groove, but the majority of the groove would be, or the majority of the of the part um, would just go, uh, wouldn't touch each other. You just have the O80 screws that would be kind of in there with the O-rings around them. And then you could adjust the tension by how tight you tightened it. So you could have it as a really tight fit or as a, as a loose fit, but the O-rings would kind of help dial that in because you could compress the O-rings. And as you compress them, they would push out. And so you could adjust the tension on that system. No, they would wear over time. They would. But I mean, but we're, we're talking... Time again. Yeah. Yeah. So... I... So, one of the kind of themes for... I don't know. I guess I'm going to say this year, for 2023, has been transitioning for, from thinking of myself as a production shop to becoming a product design shop or a, a prototyping shop. Mm-hmm. And lately, I have been making far too many McMaster orders. I think I'm at like 13 orders in the last probably three weeks at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time I do a McMaster order, I have been throwing on some hardware so that mm-hmm. I have a little bit of a stockpile. Mm-hmm. I decided that Design the Everything products, at least in the Better Keychains line, are only going to use either I-80, um, 256 or 440 screws and nothing else. And then, you know, like there's only so many sizes of those screws that are reasonable. And Mm -hmm. I basically buy every size that I am likely to need. And it's like Mm -hmm. 20 sizes. So it was nothing ridiculous. It was maybe a hundred dollars in hardware. And now I have, you know, every screw that I need. So I don't have to make McMaster orders. I have stuff on hand. Like when I'm sitting there in CAD and I'm going, how big is a 256 screw? Like I can just go grab one. That's um, awesome. 
that'll, so, that'll really speed up my workflow. You would have really liked to have the customer that I had uh, this week or last week that stopped by. Had, had a gun guy that stopped by. He brought me a bag of screws of, I'm sure, all those different sizes. And, I, and he, he brought his gun. And when he came to pick up his gun, I'm like, we didn't really need any of these screws. I don't know why you, you brought them. And he was just like, oh, no, those are for you. He's like, I just cleaned out my my whole screw collection that I had and just I didn't need them anymore. So here you go. If you can use them, use them. I was like, oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> they just got the, this bag. And they're like, screws. <laughs> well, it was I haven't even gone through the bag, but it um, it was all the small sizes like uh, 80 uh 440 um couple metric ones like it was all the small stuff like what you're talking about um for for guns so although <laughs> almost all the gun screws that you need are typically black and these were all shiny silver so i was like i'm not sure if i'm not going to be able to use these on any guns but thank you <laughs> were they labeled or anything or just a random they were screws? no Ooh, they were okay, all so that's they were gold right there so they were they were all in individual bags with handwritten notes as to what size they were, what thread pitch they were, like everything. Like it was very well organized. Um, whoever from this guy who uh, who brought them by, so I was super happy about that. Yeah. So I one of my I guess principles is don't stock anything that you can't reorder. Like there's mm-hmm. nothing worse than just like the random box of screws that like may or may not have the size of screw that you need. And even if it does have it, like you have to figure out what it is and then reorder it. Like, mm-hmm. um, so in all of my bins of screws, I have, like I, I take the box that they come in and I cut off the information and stick them in there. Yeah. So that if yeah. I ever need to find them again, I can just look them up. That makes a lot of sense. The other nice thing about the the screws that I'm using and like better keychain stuff all being small. So like I have like uh, about 20 sizes of screw um, and I have them in that includes pan head and flathead. Maybe it's like 30 sizes mm-hmm. and all 30 sizes. I bought a hundred of each screw. Like I said, this cost me maybe a hundred dollars and it fits in an area about this big because <laughs> yep. all the screws are tiny. <laughs> yep. <laughs> The downside is the taps are more expensive and a lot easier to break than something like quarter 20. Yeah. So one of my students um, who took my uh, class last semester, um, which have I talked about that, that I I teach a class at a local university? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's been brought up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought so. Well, um, he was doing a project for for school and he needed uh, an an 080 uh, thread or an 080 tap. And he was asking me, he's like, do they even make them in that size? And I was like, yes, I actually have a few if you want to borrow one or you want to use one. I was like, if you break it, it's no big deal. Like, I'm not using it anytime soon. And it was I think it was an Amazon tap anyways. Like it wasn't it was like very early on, but it was an 080 tap. And um, I gave it to him. And I like the next time I saw him, I was talking to him like, so how'd it do? He's like, yeah, I I broke it. (laughs) He's He's like, it didn't last the first hole. He's like, I, I think I, uh, I forgot to touch it off r- properly or something. No. I forget exactly what he did, but he basically rammed it into the part and then yeah. snapped it. <laughs> Speaking of broken, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that'll tend to happen with things that small. <laughs> they're, they're not that rigid. So, um, I remember way back when I was working on the Spire Pen, uh, which was my very first Kickstarter project. 
And one of the original design plans on that to like retain the, the twisty mechanism we had was to put a little tiny set screw in there. And I, it was probably my first ever McMaster order. I ordered a tap and a set of A80 set screws and they showed up and I just like laughed at them and I must've just like thrown them away because it was, it was so small that I couldn't even imagine tapping a yeah. hole with them. And I was like, yeah, that's never going to work. I, I, yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. That just made me think of something else that happened uh, last week in this week, uh, Monday, actually. Um, have you ever heard of a six by a number six by 48? Um, screw. Yeah, so I know there's a lot of other weird threads, though. Yeah, well, apparently it's a very common screw size for guns, specifically. And you cannot find a number six by 48, at least I couldn't, uh, tap on MSC. Could not find one on their whole website. Um, And so we found one on on McMaster um, for this guy's gun that we were doing some work on. And it it was uncoated. And it just, high-speed steel, it just snapped. Um, it on our test piece. So we got a, um, a thread mill, a single point thread mill. And and we thread milled these things and the thread mill is so tiny. Oh my goodness. It is like, you look at it and it's like, is that actually going to do anything? But it, it actually produced an amazing result. Like I was so happy with that. Um, and it worked for the 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 six by forty eight thread type. So, and what's nice about it? What, go ahead. Uh, I was just, I was just gonna say I loved it because we were doing an RMR cut with these special screws. Um, and normally you have if you're using a, a a tap, you have a certain amount of threads that are unusable because they're starting the profile. Well, with the thread mill, I can go all the way to the bottom of the hole and work my way out. Um, and yes. so I get more threads and so I can do a shallower hole or I can get more threads in the same depth of hole. And so that was just amazing for this project. And I think we're going to do that going forward for all of our RMR cuts, just because even if it breaks, we can put a new one on and, and keep and rethread the hole because you, you know, the position. So, yeah, I love single point thread mills. I use them all the time. Uh, a lot of that came from me starting with smaller machines like the Sherline Mill and the uh, Pocket NC. Like you couldn't run a tap with those, but they thread milled just fine. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I think I've thread milled M3 screws was probably the smallest one. Though I'm remembering, I'll have to go check the CAD files. I did a watch case for a uh, Casio watch once, which I really need to revisit that project, but. That had some really tiny threaded holes in there. And I would need to look at what they are. I don't... They might have even been like an hot 80 But that seems extra tiny to thread mill. I don't know. I have to go check. I'm, I'm curious now. Yeah. But... I have, I have a, another thread mill that... Basically, the biggest thread that it can do is a quarter 20. Mm-hmm. Um, or that 20 TPI... Um, pitch is the limiting factor and i have used that thing so many times it's doing my pens now mm-hmm. i did finally after probably four years of using the same tool retired mm-hmm. it and switched to the replacement that i bought four years ago because i was so sure i'd break the first one um but yeah those 
yeah, I like the single point treadmills. Yeah, they're so handy whenever you use them. I still have not gotten a slitting saw though, and I really want to get one and play around with it. Yeah, because you 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 and uh and uh surveying solutions serving. Servant Solutions. We're going to see how many times we can bring them up in a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, have have got me thinking about it, and I think it's can be very powerful, um, especially after talking to you guys about it. Um, I need I need I need to do that. Let's see here. What else we got? Um. The. I was gonna... Uh, wow, sorry, brain just went out there. The thread, the reason I had to change to that new thread mill is because the tips of my old one had kind of been broken down. And I, I measured it with a mic and it was like 5,000 undersized or something like that. And the threads on these pens are, I believe, 516 48 threads. Okay. So they're very fine pitch. Um, would you, is that, can you do those on your lathe? Do you have like a it, like? Do you just need a tiny threading tool, or how does that work? It's it's just you have a sixty degree taper on those, right? Like it's a sixty degree. Yeah, that's a normal thread. Then I should be able to use my um, the tool I have. It should work just fine. And it has a sharp enough tip. If if not, I can replace it. I mean, it's it's what I'd use all my barrel threading with, and it's got three tips per insert and I'm still on the first tip and it hasn't had any issues. So will it fit in a five sixteenths inch hole. Uh, are you talking about the ID? ID? Oh no, I don't have anything to do. I can do the OD ID. I'll have to get a different tool for that. Yeah. Um, I can get one. I hadn't even thought about the ID. Yeah, I can do that. I just need to. Okay. Let me, let me... I have done. A really small part on my uh, lathe. It was a. Uh, I did a little ring, and I got a form tool to do the inside of it because it had a um, a small radius on it, and it was probably mm, quarter inch OD and about a eighth inch ID or so. Yeah, it's very small. Yeah. So I've done small parts on my um, lathe, um, but I'll just have to, I'll have to get a small thread mill. It'll probably be solid carbide, um, not an insert tool at that point. Cause they can't, I mean, they can do it, but it's not worth it. You can just get solid carbide at that point. Yeah. Like something from uh, micro 100 or. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. I, I had a thought earlier. Do you need a thread relief on that part too? Um, cause there's not one in the design cause I was thread milling it. Um, it's good to have one. It's good practice. Um, well, you can add one if you want one. Just, I didn't design it, one in. Yeah. I don't know if, I mean, cause you're still starting and leading in and leading out similar to what you would do with a thread mill. So, so, I mean, it, it acts just like a thread mill, except your tool is stationary. And your parts moving, but with, it's still okay. With a thread mill, if you really wanted to, you could make double blind threads. Can you do that with a a lathe tool? 
like putting mm-hmm. threads in the middle of the hole, but not on the outsides? Or do you need some sort of relief to get in and out there? What do you mean? To, um... So imagine you have an inch long hole and you put a half inch of threads a quarter inch in from either direction. Yeah, you could do that. There's no, Okay. I just, I don't, I don't know lathes enough. Cause even when I had my lathe, they couldn't do threading. I, um, I, yeah, I don't think that would be any, I don't see any reason that would be a problem. Um, these it are just, just depends on the random thoughts just, I have. It depends on the strategy you choose. Um, when you're, cause like fusion has three different ways to do threads. Um, uh, and I don't, I don't, feel like there would be any problem but i could be wrong i don't know i'd have to look into that i i I know it physically can be done it's just i don't know if fusion would handle it properly yeah uh, if that makes sense fusion won't let you program a double blind thread that serves literally no purpose at all i'm sure fusion would let you program it the problem is is i don't know if the lead in and lead out would be tuned for it yeah Uh, so it could it could most certainly do it um it's just that I don't know if when it's engaging in, because what you what you what you need for that to work is you need it to sweep in and sweep yep. out while it's cutting the thread. And I think what Fusion does or what Fusion does is it has it drop to the depth and then wait a second for the rotation to get to the right angle no. and then go. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and so if you're doing that, um, you'll end up with a groove on the front and the back. So you would need a relief on both sides okay. um, for that method. Um, so interesting. Just thinking about machining useless features. That's all. Yeah. I've done it on well, accident no, before the thread mill. Well, you know, and what's interesting is um, this guy who dropped off all the, all the screws, he had a Beretta and I was mm-hmm. looking really close at it and it had cross hatching um, for your grips. Yep. And I checked it. All it is is a thread tool that someone did a 2D contour and then just spaced them out and then went in, and went in one direction and then went in another direction. Because I took my 60 degree uh, thread mill and lined it up perfectly with all the grooves. Interesting. Like, like it, it fit perfectly into them. And it was like, so they're just they're just using a thread forming tool to like do all this stuff. And it was super easy. And it then it looked really cool. Um, cause when it, when it would lead in and lead out, you would see the 60 degree point coming out. And so aesthetically it was very pleasing. Um, and you would look at that and go, Oh, you know, that's a cool design choice, but that's purely because they're using a 60 degree taper tool that it did. If it was a, you know, if it was a 90 degree or some other angle, it would lead in and lead out differently, but yeah, it was cool how they used that. So. I almost did thread mill knurling on the top of my pen um to give you grip when you twisted it though i ended up actually changing the design whereas before how do i do word this before the the button on the top was both how you activated the pen and how you deactivated the pen you'd push it down to stick the pen tip out and then you would give it a a little bit of a twist it wasn't even like an eighth of a turn Mm -hmm. it was just a little twist to release the the pen tip Mm -hmm. now i have a just a, a button on the top, like a normal pen button that you push down and that latches it. And then you push the pin aside to unlatch it. So how much tuning have you had to do on that slot? I have made many of these. Many, <laughs> many, many of these. 
Are you pretty happy with it now? Yes, I am. I think there's still a little bit of room for improvement in the smoothness. And I think a lot of that's because I'm working with his Ultem stuff and I'm not exactly getting mere finishes. But the feel of the mechanism other than that is really good. I'm very happy. Awesome. awesome. Well, that's good. Um, have you heard of um, uh, Inherent Machining? Um, inheritance Machining or Yeah, or, or Inheritance Machining. The, the YouTube channel? I, yes. Yes. Did you have you watched the pin video that he did? I have not. I recommend it because uh, he's he, he makes almost a, he makes a very similar pin, except his is it's a slot. You go down, you go over, you go up like it's not you can't push a button on the top like you have yours. Um, yeah, it's just a bolt action. pen. It, yeah, it's just a bolt action pen. Um, but one thing that is really cool about it is that he assembles the pin and then does his final finishing pass and it makes the thread mm-hmm. line disappear. Um, yeah, because because he, he does it all as a, a assembled pen, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then he actually goes in and I think adds some small grooves in that same area to where it's actually in the center of some of those grooves to where um, it's hidden. Yeah. I I think on these ones, well, for the Ultim ones, like I have to manually finish them. Um, and by manually finish them, I mean wrap one end in electrical tape, stick it in a drill, and then hold it on some sandpaper. And I'm hoping that'll hide it. The seam, the seam is worse than I would like it. And I think it's because I don't have a finished material and the material isn't super consistent in diameter and I'm not machining the outside at all. And so there's a, a diameter mismatch between the, the sections. And I can it probably also, minimize that some by sandpaper, but it also could be any of your backlash errors that you're having in your machine. If you're if you're if you're machining the threads on one and then on the other, and then they're coming in and out of alignment. I can feel on this one that the top section is bigger all the way around than the bottom section. It's not uh, just okay. like it's not uh, radially shifted. Like the top oh, is bigger okay. diameter. Okay, fair enough. Now, what might be adding to that is the threads. How do I word this? On either. So (laughs) threads do not do a good job of locating apart. Threads are Mm -hmm. for holding things in place and, you know, Mm -hmm. applying axial tension. They do not Mm -hmm. provide any radial location. And that is one mistake that a lot of people making pens make is they expect their their threads to provide radial location Mm -hmm. so on my pen where the two halves of it meet i have uh interpolated bores uh, well a bore on one side and a pin on the other side and that provides the location and then the threads just provide the axial attachment um and what could be happening because this is plastic I may not have, I may have that fit too tight and the inside pin could be flaring the, the body on the outside. The board. That makes sense. So that's possible. Uh, I actually don't remember if I've measured those. I don't think I have, like if it fits, it's good enough for me right now. Um, but it could be an interference fit there flaring it. Fair enough. So makes sense. 
so what's your next project after your pens? Have you so that after out? my pens, I'm back into carabiner mode and I'm doing R&D on my next car- Kickstarter carabiners. Nice. Which are will pens, be... Are you, are you, you going to do sorry, Kickstarter for the pens or no? Eventually. Eventually. Okay. Um, I will... I'll, I'll probably get... Well, the Patreons are all getting one of these. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm doing the production batch for. I'll probably sell off another handful of them to kind of help recoup some of my R&D costs. And then do a Kickstarter on a more finished... Now... Pen, or maybe a version you, two. Have you sold something on Etsy and then put it on Kickstarter? And has Kickstarter kicked it off because it was sold on Etsy? Because it says you're not supposed to, it says Kickstarter is supposed to be the first public offering if you look into it enough. So uh, the Kickstarter rules say, yes, it has to be something that is unique going on Kickstarter. However, uh, small tweaks can justify Kickstarter. Um, gotcha. Okay. For example, on the carabiners, when I submitted that, I had originally said that I had sold off a few already. And they rejected it. And I think I literally just changed the word to from like sold off a couple to I sold a few prototypes and like that was enough to. Okay. Okay. I wondered about that because we, we almost tried to sell a few of the uh, card cases to kind of get an idea Mm -hmm. before we did the Kickstarter um, and quickly shelved that idea after starting down the Kickstarter process was like, uh, we can't really sell any of these until after Kickstarter because that's yeah, kind of the, the point of Kickstarter. In, in the response from Kickstarter, they they said that like you need to at least have a new color or a tweak the design. Like their gotcha. barrier for what they consider a new product is incredibly low. Gotcha. So okay. just do a, you know, if you're doing your prototypes, do them all in stone washed and then, you know, do anodized or whatever for your Kickstarter one. That it doesn't sense. need to be a big or just don't say it in your Kickstarter and they'll never know. Like, <laughs> well, as long as they aren't being disingenuous to your audience, like... Yeah, yeah. I wondered about that, too. Um, but... That's cool. Uh, have you ever thought about doing Indiegogo versus Kickstarter, by chance? Um, I have considered it as, like, you launch one kick, like you launch your Kickstarter, and then when the Kickstarter ends, you launch an Indiegogo for the same thing. That is very common in the crowdfunding world. Uh, I just don't have any experience with Indiegogo. I've never used it, and they are less reputable than Kickstarter, so I just stay away. I don't know. I I am probably losing money with that, but well, I I kind of wondered if it if it made a difference or not, which one you went with. Um, if if you look at like the big campaigns, like Jaco's um, uh, uh, Maker Knife, he did mm-hmm. them both, and he made a lot of money on both. Okay, um, but that is also a thing that all of the scammy Kickstarters do: is they start on Kickstarter, then they also go to Indiegogo, and like I just don't like that look. I don't want to be lumped with them, that and plus, sense. I don't want to like push to my audience for two months, like, hey, you know. Kickstarter, Kickstarter, sign up for the Kickstarter. Hey, join the Kickstarter, pay for the Kickstarter. And then as soon as that's over, be like, Indiegogo. Everybody's going to Indiegogo now. It's the same thing, but I'm still going to push for it. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I don't want to do now, too many asks for the same thing over and over again. Yeah. That being said, 
do you do an ask after the Kickstarter and go, hey, that product, if you missed out on Kickstarter, it's now available on my Etsy or on my store. Like, do you do this, a similar push? Like, are you planning on, on pushing your store as much as you're pushing as hard or as, at least on some level compared to your Kickstarters? I mean, I always have just a low level background push for my store. Okay. Um, I would definitely like push a new product when it's available on my store a little bit more, but like the difference in social media attention that a Kickstarter gets versus a new Etsy product gets is like, they're, they're completely different levels. Yeah. I mean, for my last Kickstarter, I had, I think 30 or 45 pre-scheduled posts that were automatically posted to Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I never do that for my Etsy store. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, did you get all the coins shipped out? Shipped out? Oh, no. Um, I just sent backer surveys today. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I I have on my calendar to have them machined, not finished, but machined by the 15th, so a week from today. Yeah, because um, yeah, I, I, I saw your coins and your carabiners on a Tormach post, which I thought was pretty cool. Yes, I got two. <laughs> yeah. So... Sorry, I interrupted you a little bit. Um, you got them scheduled. To- I may be behind those because the uh, it took me so long to get the material for the pens, and then also I have spent longer than intended on the pens. Um, but I'm I'm not worried about them. The other thing that may push me back a little bit on them is my powder coat booth is still in the middle of a renovation. My dad's been kind of slowly working on that in the background, and I can't powder coat the stands. I have them all machined but I cannot powder coat them because my booth is in disarray. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm, I'm, those were a, a cool little project you did. And I, I really liked how they turned out. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy with those. I might do a second batch at some point out of like brass or copper mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. I want to get more coin sizes on my, my Etsy page. I want to get like a, a smaller and a larger that way I can have kind of a, a range. You need brass I was talking, huh? You need brass yeah, I know too. they're just going to be so much more expensive, which I, I I probably need to do. You know, um, I was just talking to someone, um, or listening to something about the stair step method. You've, you're familiar with that for your products. You know, you have your entry level product, and then you have your next one that's a few dollars up, and. They go, oh, you know, I might as well get that one. And then your next product's a few dollars more than that. Well, I could get that one. And then just kind of, yeah, Apple's really good at that. Um, <laughs> um, but I thought about doing that. It'd be good to do um, like a small coin that's really cheap and then um, a medium and then a large and then have all the pre-made designs and things of that nature. I want to I want to get to that point. So. Um. I want to do that some with carabiners because the the next carabiners that I'm doing, this next Kickstarter is going to be for a higher end kick, uh, higher end carabiner than the ones I just did. They're going to be a little bit more expensive and have a lot more um, customization options and look a little they, bit. Are, uh, are they still going to be one piece material or are you going to have multiple pieces? So the, and I haven't actually designed these yet other than, um, like sketches, but the, the concept is it'll kind of be like a knife where it will have the titanium core. It'll have the titanium flexure as the base, and then it'll have scales on either side. 
Mm-hmm. And so the titanium core will always be the same, but then you could have brass scales, you could have titanium scales, you could have yeah. uh, powder coated scales. I probably won't do wood because that'd be a pain. You could have fancier materials as the scales and then the same core carabiner mechanism in between. And you could swap them out if you wanted to. Yeah, that'd be cool. They may even use the same blanks uh, for the this one size. So I'm going to add a S-shaped carabiner as well. And I'm starting to get requests for a medium-small carabiner. So I may yeah. do one of those too. Yeah, I, I think a smaller one to kind of replace this guy with like a mini carabiner would be awesome. Do you have any of these? These are my that's, key rings. That's, that's exactly okay. what I have right here. Okay. okay. So, so I, I was want... saying like a smaller one of these, a smaller carabiner where I, I don't have to, ha- like, I really like this. This is honestly my favorite key ring I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Like they are none. It's the sleeper product. Nobody knows about them, but they're the, Honestly, the best thing designed to everything offers is my key rings. Like it is, it is honestly phenomenal. I, I love this thing so much. Um, it is, it is amazing, but I would love to see a miniature key, uh, a, a smaller carabiner that was like designed just for keys, uh, which these, this kind of is obviously, um, but it's not, it's designed to like clip on your keys and then clip it onto a backpack. Versus having one that just just held your keys in place of a key ring. I um, have a carabiner that I did not make, just like a, a cheap Chinese one that is about an inch. It might be like an inch and a quarter tall. Uh, mm-hmm. And I really like that size. I used to keep my car key on that little carabiner, like back before I was making my own. So that if you know my brother needed to borrow my car or whatever, I could just pop off that one key and give it to him. Mm-hmm. And the the key rings don't quite fill that need, and then yeah, again, my main carabiner is too big for that. Yeah. Um, with those key rings, so those went through a little bit of a development where the actually the first revision is exactly what I'm using now. I had a, the first revision, and some people thought they were too stiff, and so then I made a thinner revision. Actually, I think I thought they were too stiff. I don't think anyone else gave me that. That was in my head. And so then I got a, a thinner material version of them. And uh, then everyone was like, no, 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 go back to the original ones. And I, as a key ring, if you were thinking about it as a key ring, I think they were correct. However, I have had a few people say, you know, I want to be able to take my keys on and off here more often. And I sent one of them, one of my um, like second prototypes, the Rev Bs, because I went Rev A and then to Rev B, and then back to Rev A. And I, I've sent out a couple of those Rev Bs, and people have liked those to almost use as a carabiner. Hmm. Um, so they're a little bit wimpier as a key ring, but I think fine. Um, but it's much easier to get keys on and off of them. That makes sense. So I may sell those as, like, you know, lightweight key rings or something like that, or easy on key yeah. rings. Just same yeah. design, different name. Yeah. That'd be cool. Did we talk about key bars? Have we talked about key bars at all? Um, I'm definitely familiar with key bar, both the one company and the general concept of them. Do you like them or no? No, I don't. I don't like things in my pocket, especially big, hard, heavy things. 
Um, now I know other people might like them, uh, but I don't, so I'm not going to make one. At least not anytime soon. <laughs> Fair enough. I've thought that about being making one. Said, uh, I was talking with a guy from. I don't know how much he wants to share. I was talking with somebody who made a key bar like project product that is really cool and has a really good fidget factor. And we're going to do a collaboration. At some Actually, I was probably supposed to do it a long time ago, but I've been, busy. but he's been very patient with me. <laughs> Fair enough. You know who you are. You probably don't listen, but. <laughs> Got me curious now, but that'll be cool. Um, so <clears throat> you're just focusing on better keychains right now, right? Yes. Okay. Except for the pens and the paper. Except for the, but yeah, we'll ignore that. Was... <laughs> I was gonna that that was my next question. I was gonna be like, <laughs> so are the are the pens part of better keychains? <laughs> I am refocusing down on just better keychains. I've changed my my release schedule and everything, but the pens were already underway before I okay. refocused it. Um, okay. And I think they'll be a good source of cash flow for me even before the are, starter. Are they going to be branded under Design the Everything? Yes, they are Design the Everything. They are not better keychains. They do not go on keychain. However, I should make a keychain oh. pen. That is on the list. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, or a carabiner pen. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't do I don't do tools that do two things. All of my tools are single purpose. That's fair. I do not put fair bottle bit. openers in my pry bars. I do not put I don't know whatever other combinations people like pry bars on their okay. screwdrivers, pry bars on their car- or pry bars on their carabiners, bottle openers on their carabiners. No, that's fair. So with design the everything then, and your uh, and your pens. Um, do you have like a direction you're going to go with that? Or is that going to be like a catch-all for uh, anything that's not a keychain? Design the everything. Okay. In the future where all this stuff is magically had time to coalesce and get sorted out, I want design the everything to be, the, the design the everything products will be much higher end and borderline art projects similar to the coin. Okay. Where the focus of the coin is not so much on the coin, it's on the artwork going onto the coin. Um, so, like, I would, I have some ideas on how to do uh, generatively designed pens, for example. I don't know if they will work. It'll be a big undertaking, but like, I have the workflow mapped out in my brain. Um, gotcha. And things like that, things that other shops can't or won't do because they're hard and complicated. And um, and then I'll have the more normal stuff into other brands like Better Keychains. Fair enough. I like it. Build it out and then get your Etsy page going. And then is, is your yeah. ultimate goal to get off of Etsy and go onto your own website? Um, my ultimate goal is to eventually start selling primarily through other people. Gotcha. So either other internet retailers or brick and mortar. I actually at one of my uh, one of the shows I went to um, for uh, gun shows or it wasn't a gun show it was the the other one I did the, the testicle festival. I ran into a, a couple people. Yeah, I know it's a funny name. 
uh, I ran into uh, a couple people that were manning other booths and one of them, um, their whole business model was uh, dropship. And all they wanted to do was they wanted to see if you had a product that they could sell on their website, that they could send you the orders and you drop ship it to the customer so they could get a cut. I mean, that was their whole business model. And for anyone wondering, I will happily drop ship my products for you. <laughs> it's, that's something I haven't really thought about doing very much of, honestly. Um, we basically do it right now for another guy um, through our, through our uh, 3D printed stuff, which that was another thing that happened um, last week. Uh, we had one of the major gun shops around here place an order for like 50 gun stands. So that was awesome. Super happy about that. Um, and they've, we, we went in there the other day and they have like these four to $10,000 pistols on our stands on in their shop. And so it's like, they really like them. <laughs> so um, I'm super happy about that. Yeah. Now, sorry, going back one step. The problem with dropshipping products is the people who, or a large portion of people, I shouldn't lump everyone, a large portion of the people who want to dropship are people who have been reading and watching get quick or get rich quick scheme type stuff. Because... I don't know if it's still popular right now, but for a while, those kind of schemes were all about drop shipping. Yeah, yeah, uh, and so yeah, sit at home and sell, sell other people's people. products. Yeah, exactly. So. Set up your store, have it automated. Don't even touch yeah. a product. Yeah, forget all the. If you get big, you start getting hammered with so many emails. That's the one thing that's really changed is. Uh, even though our Etsy store has been picking up, which has been awesome, so has the amount of traffic of people messaging us through Etsy. Um, like, I, I wonder how people, like, fidget things, um, like, get any work done or if, if their phone is just constantly blowing up with people messaging them over Etsy. Uh, now, one thing you can do if this does happen to you is um, write out most of your responses. You can actually save them on Etsy. But you can all, like, I just have, uh, okay, so going back a step. So we were talking about Airtable the other day, and you were, or you use Monday.com. I have been using Airtable much more heavily than I was before as, you know, design there, everything has been getting busier. Mm -hmm. um, I have the, a, an Airtable document that I call the Design the Everything ERP or DERP. Mm -hmm. And in DERP, I have a list of common questions and responses to them that I get either on Kickstarters or Instagram comments or uh, Etsy messages. And so when I need to, I just go into Derp and I copy paste the response. And yeah. that saves a lot of time. Yeah. Well, and, and thinking about that and getting off topic a little bit, but also similar topic tools like chat GDP would be awesome if you could like pre-program it with like set types of, like be able to understand the question and then look at a database and come up with its own answer and answer back for you that's called a chatbot and they've been around for they've been around for a decade they've been really good for a year but yeah yeah but i i chat gdp is what's on everyone's mind today and i just i feel like it's a whole nother level um 
then I literally just got an email from a company doing that uh, yesterday or the day before and then wanting to sponsor a YouTube video. Oh, really? Yeah. But it's interesting. It's crap. It's not something I'm going to do. But yeah. like, yeah, th- these companies exist. Um, yeah. I'm the absolutely. problem with them is if you want to sound like a robot, that's how you sound like a robot. Yeah. So yeah. You want I to like avoid my, that. I like and my human written things and I can customize them before I send them. And that's where I think the chat GDP could be a little more human instead of the robotic style. Like, cause I mean, they do have those chats. Like I hate them. I really do like, Oh, you know, talk to someone right now. And it's a robot. Like, and you can tell it's a robot. It's all pre-scripted with uh, very few responses that you can give back answering yes or no. And that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about someone like send something and, um, actually give them a human response, but have it automated, an automated human response. The I, I've played with chat D, uh, GT, GPT doing stuff like that, and they all sound very corporate. All the responses oh, I was able to get it to generate, which is I, the, I, the problem with that. Okay. Um, you did, did you watch my customer service YouTube video? I don't think I did. When did you post that? Well, only like 98 people did. YouTube didn't like that video. I posted it a couple days ago. But yeah, one of the things that I try to do in customer service is not sound corporate. And using using responses from chat, GTP, GPT makes you sound like Google because most of the responses online are probably Google. And that's where it gets Mm -hmm. its training database. That makes sense. I'll I did, however, it. convince it to write a tweet to fire somebody. And I found that very amusing. <laughs> <laughs> but it also sounded very corporate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I will say the, the best executed version of this I've ever seen is um, Pirate Ships uh, chat. And I'm sure some of it I was talking to a robot and some of it I was talking to a person. But their their chat help, like their robotic chat help, talks like a pirate. And it's great. It, like, it actually made me giggle, which you never do when you're talking to customer support. That is hilarious. See, and I, I like little touches like that. Like, I, I like things like that that feel more human. Like, the imperfection of talking to a person. Like, you don't know what they're going to say. They can say the most random things. Um, I like that. If, if you ever want to look at branding that's really well done, look at uh, Pirate Ship. Like, Pirate they, ship. they have their stick and they stick to their stick. Pirate Ship? Um, it's shipping software. Oh, okay. Um, that's what I use for, like, all of my Kickstarter stuff. I use the Etsy shipping for Etsy. Um, though I have come to realize oh, recently no. they are Etsy is more expensive on international. Um, but pirate ship is you don't there's no subscription fee, which places like stamps.com or shipstation have. Um, it's very easy to use and they have good prices and their support talks like pirates. So so is I like pirate ship. Can can pirate ship replace shipstation then I guess? Yes. Um the reason you would stick with ShipStation is for other integrations. For example, yeah. if you had ShipStation built into um, a Shopify website um, or an ERP, I actually Pirate Ship may even integrate with Shopify, but it would not integrate with an ERP. 
I'm gonna have to look at this. Yeah, pirate ship is great. Anyways, um, I think that's about all I got right now. Yeah, we're getting Just, late. We're getting late, and I'm gonna have to get up super early to try to play catch up on parts. I've got a lot of pens to make. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I think that's that's all I got. So I guess I'll sign us out. <laughs> For all of you who've uh, hung on to our rambling, we appreciate it. Please uh, subscribe and tell all your friends. This is Harrison with Precision Ingenuity, trying to sound as corporate as I can <laughs> with, <laughs> with Design the Everything, and we are signing out. I was about to say you have a you have a sign off voice. <laughs> I I know I was I was doing that on purpose actually trying to sound as corporate as I could. We should have ChatGPT do our next one. Uh, we could have a super whole podcast. Oh, that would that would be hilarious. Maybe this one was scripted by ChatGPT and nobody realized it. There was some corporate speak in here. <laughs> anyway, bye.